Thanks so much, Church 1132. Turn somebody real quick. Give them a quick high five. Tell them I'm excited, but I'm about to get worse. Come on. Just tell them I'm excited, but I'm about to get worse. Awesome. Man, you know, as mentioned first service, I love to come to this church for many reasons, and one of them is that, man, pastors Dustin and Jamie are just so special. They're such dear friends to Krista and I. My wife texts me. She's watching. Hey, boo. So she's watching right now. But I, I love this because, for that matter, with the entire Bates family, we're eclipsing 25 years that I've known them. I mean, like, like he was in kindergarten. I was in high school, but no, no, I'm kidding. Like, we're both a little bit older than that, but... It's just amazing. The other reason is I get a chance to be with you guys because I love the hunger in this house. Chris and I brag on you guys. Anytime we're invited back, we consider it honestly an honor and a privilege to be with you guys. And then third of all, I really think that you guys are going to spearhead something so significant. You guys aren't just a church for a city. You guys are a regional, yea, even national voice. Uh, what is going to come out of this house, I really believe is going to affect uh, literally uh, so many different companies, policymakers, uh, families, the next generations, pulpits, on and on and on. So I am thrilled to be with you guys. The Collins love you guys. You guys are super awesome as well. I am going to dive right in this. I, my name is Sean. I love Jesus and I love you. That's kind of my intro right there. You know, I woke up uh, one day and many times, and I don't know if you're like this as well, that sometimes you'll hear God clearest in the morning or in the shower or something like that, usually before you get all these things on your mental to-do list. And I woke up one morning, and I just heard the phrase, ignorant of their placement. And I felt like the Lord, I knew he was speaking to me about something. And the bottom line is this, is that when you're ignorant of your placement, you will be somewhat oblivious to your assignment. It was a popular little meme, a gif, whatever you would call it, little girls dancing, and I think a mama put it on TikTok, and, and, and she understood the assignment. Proof that you understand your assignment is you're not ignorant of your placement. The best way I can illustrate that is many years ago, emphasis on many, I was graduating out of high school, and I wanted to major and get my degree in computer engineering, which I did. So I chose this university. At that time in California, there, there were a lot of schools that could get your electrical engineering and you could get uh, 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 computer science, but there were some schools that began to merge the two disciplines together. Now you could practically find them everywhere. So it was California Institute of Technology. I want to stay in Cali, California, USC, University of Pacific. University of Pacific in proximity was closest to where I grew up in the Bay Area, Oakland, California. So I could go back home, get my grandmother's home cooked food. I could wash my clothes. Come on, somebody shot me down. You in college, you want to stay a little bit close. But I didn't know the Lord. Now, Hold that thought. My grandmother would get radically, dramatically saved, but ever since, even in her backslidden stage, my grandmother would have this time of this word of the Lord would come to her, and she said, boy, you're going to be a preacher. Boy, was an affectionate term. She's from the South, right, like Dumas, Arkansas. She said, boy, you're going to be a preacher. And in my head, I didn't know the Lord. I wasn't necessarily raised to know God. I was raised not to know God, but I was like, no, I'm not going to be a preacher. I'm going to be a hooper. I'm going to play some ball, right? And so, but I wouldn't tell my grandma that because my grandma's an old school disciplinarian. So here is my whole thing. I'm convinced that right when you're on the brink of prophecy coming to pass, 
The enemy's go-to move is right before your prophecy materializes. He's got to bring anxiety to immobilize you. Right before your prophecy materializes, the enemy brings anxiety to immobilize you. And you think about it. How many different times, whether it was Pharaoh putting out an edict to kill all the baby children because prophecy was going to come to pass that a Moses deliver, and Herod did it to Jesus' time. There are certain times, and how many of you admit we live in the age of anxiety? Hey, come on now. Uh, pharmaceuticals are making hand over fist dollars because they're prescribing anxiety meds. They say as a result of the pandemic and post-pandemic, and we're in a time of wars in the Middle East, wars in the Ukraine, you've got inflation that is at like 20, 25-year high, price of gas, craziness, folks just getting guns and going in malls and different places and shooting, there is this thing that, that they say, American Psychiatric Association, they said two things. Number one, and I'm paraphrasing, ambiguity, if you want to know the cause of anxiety, ambiguity breeds anxiety. When you're not certain on outcomes, what is going to happen next? It's at those moments you feel most anxious, anxieties, and fears. And they say right now, and I, this is the statement I was going to finish, is that the whole pandemic, they say as a result of that, one out of every five Americans have paralyzing fears where they're practically completely shut down. Now back to this. I chose the University of Pacific because I wanted to get a degree, wanted to be close to home. I go there, I'm lost, I'm so lost. But I didn't realize my grandmother's word about me becoming a preacher is about to come to pass. But remember, at the point of your prophecy, the enemy tries to bring anxiety. And so all of a sudden, I begin to feel the emptiness of my heart so bad. And how many of you know that sometimes that's a glorious thing from God to recognize that babe, that beer, and that blunt cannot fill that empty hole in your heart. You need Jesus. You need the love of God to come and begin to instill identity, purpose, and a sense that you are loved for who he has created you to be. And so I had this anxiety, and all of a sudden, in the midst, often when you have heavy anxiety, you get depression, and I was at a point where I wanted to end my life. Well, meantime... I'm an electroengineering lab. We had to choose partners for our lab. It was in conjunction with an electrical engineering 201A or whatever, 201. And so this one girl, she didn't have a partner, but she was super smart. She was like mousy quiet. But in the eyes of everyone else, she wasn't cool. She was kind of the nerd, as they would say. But I'm like, she's smart. I need her as my lab assistant so she can help boost my grade, right? She's going to get an A, and that might help my B minus C plus that I'm like at in class. And so she was mousy quiet with the exception of one thing. Whenever we would hit some sort of impasse in whatever it is that we were doing in our electrical engineering lab, she would say, can we pray? She would pray. Come on, how many of you know... The Bible says, be anxious in nothing but pray that the answer to anxiety is you get closer to God. The answer to anxiety is intimacy. And hey, she was going to get a good grade. Whenever she prayed, she would find out what was wrong. So I'm like, yeah, go ahead. And I'll bow my head and, and throw my name in there too. Like I wasn't, I wasn't turned off by it. So the Lord started to cause Christians to cross my path. And at a point when I'm about to completely like have this moment where I'm going to check out, I have this incredible moment where God causes this prophetic word over me. Now, ignorant of your placement, 
I chose the University of Pacific because they had a degree I wanted, not knowing they had a campus ministry, it was called Chi Alpha, that they were in a massive move of God. The year I get saved, they began a campus in ministry training, which I was a director of Chi Alpha campus ministry for 10 years. I did not realize that I was ignorant of my placement. When you're ignorant of your placement, you get overwhelmed by your predicament, right? When you're ignorant of your placement, not knowing and so what did I, why did I say all that? Because you may have thought you moved to this area or your parents or your grandparents moved to this area for whatever reasons. I'm here to tell you, your purpose is tied into the geography of where you place your feet. It is an awakening that I'm here for a reason. And, and for this matter, Paul said this to a, to a group of people that were searching, deeply searching. We would probably look at it like they were like universal, like, like, like new age level surf, uh, searching. And he says to them a truth about God. And this is found in Acts 17, 26, 27. Speaking of God, he says he has appointed Excuse me, he has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwelling. He's saying, don't be ignorant of your placement. You are here at this time in this spot because God before time, come on, King the Conqueror in Loki series, he has converged timelines to bring you right to this point right now. And that's what you've got to know. And so let me uh, say this and then we're going to read it. Right now, can I say something? I believe that the anxiety button that hell is pushing is actually reminding you how close you are to what I would call the threshold of awakening. Now, let me read this. It says in 1 Samuel 11, verse 1, it says, Then Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead. This dude is a total terrorist. And all of the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, make a covenant with us and we will serve you. Wrong move. They were scared. They saw this terroristic military leader come up and they immediately say, hey, man, we'll make compromises. Just don't hurt us, right? So they're already in fear. And Nahash the Ammonite, this is the verse that proves he's a terrorist. He answered him and said, on this condition, I will make a covenant with you that I may gouge out all of your right eyes and bring reproach on all of Israel. Then the elders of Jabez said, hold off for seven days that we may send messengers to the territory of Israel. And then if there's no one to save us, we will come out to you. So the messengers came to Gibeah Saul. And so the inference there is Nahash the Ammonite said, go ahead, go ahead, get your messengers, send you out. You got a week to come back. And if you can't get nobody to save you, I'm gouging out your white right eyes and I'm gonna make you all slaves. And it says, so the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul. He was king, but we're, he's, not, he's about to function in his leadership now. And he told the news in the hearing of the people, and all the people lifted up their voices and wept. Now there was Saul coming from behind the herd from the field. And Saul said, what troubles the people that they weep? And they told him the words of the men of Jabesh. Then, verse 6, the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard this news and his anger was greatly aroused. And I'm just going to throw in verse 7. So he took a yoke of oxen, cut them in pieces, and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hands of the messengers, saying, whoever does not go out with Saul and Samuel to battle, so shall it be done to his oxen. One of the Dead Sea Scrolls, because here is the point that I want to make here, is that we are in that seven-day period. Again, here is a terrorist, the leader 
of the Ammonites. His name is Nahash. Nahash, names meant something in the Old Testament. Names mean something now. The word or name Nahash means serpent. It means snake. You don't need to go very far in your typology, right, to understand this dude represents the devil when his name means snake. But what happens is, what happened was, right, this guy, the Septuagint, which is kind of writings from which the New Testament, Old Testament, Josephus, a Jewish historian, so this is reliable history. Not all of history is compared or covered in the Bible. We understand that. It's given us the gospel and the important plan of salvation. But what they tell us is what just happened is Nahash and the Ammonite, and this is the best way I can say it, this, this right stand is the River Jordan. Over here is your promised land. It is your prophecy coming true. God is going to bring you to a land flowing with milk and honey. Over here is the wilderness. And even when the original, back in history, when the leaders of the nation of Israel were about to step into their prophecy, what did the enemy release? Anxiety. They saw these big old huge tall people called the uh, Anakim, and they came back and they said, hey, man, we're grasshoppers. We can't the land will devour it, which is what anxiety does. It does a wor worst case weather forecast scenario of how bad it is. So it deactivates you in the present so you don't step into your future. But now fast forward. Two and a half tribes stay here in the wilderness. They're on the borderline when they should be in the promised land. How many times does fear cause our Christianity to be on the borderline Rather than step into the prophetic promise. Two and a half tribes were uh, the Gadites, the Rumanites, and Reubenites, and half the tribe of Manasseh. So here is what the Septuagint said. I'm giving you a lot of history, but here's the point. Nash the Ammonite began with these dudes because the enemy is always going to, you've seen them animal shows, the lion is going to kill the deer to separate it from the herd. So the enemy wants to get you out of fellowship. He wants to go and get you. And, and again, I'm all for watching online. I know people watch online. But if you could get in the house, come on, somebody. There's something more to your Christian experience than sipping a latte, having a sofa saint day. Come on, somebody. We need you to get with the community of faith. I'm just saying. All right, I'm just saying. So he, Septuagint, History tells us Nahash had already gouged out the right eye of these two and a half tribes that were on the borderline and wouldn't have happened to you at this point had you been in the promised land. So the men that survived, they say in the Septuagint, ran into the other side, and you could imagine what these do look like. Man, they have no right eyes. It's gouged out. I don't want to be too gross, but maybe blood's going from their eye, and it, it released this anxiety. Because here is the question. The question is, why would a terrorist trying to get a nation of people to surrender, why would you give them seven days to try to find someone to save them? He didn't have a change of heart. His name means snake, <laughs> for heaven's sake. Here is his belief system, I'm convinced. Number one, Nahash the Ammonite did not think anyone would rise up to save them. The enemy makes a mistake that thinks that nominal Christianity will keep us all kind of just in this just get by, just do enough, kind of have a little bit of Christianity, a little bit in the, of the world in us. He does not calculate that there's going to be a church 1132, come on, where somebody is going to have an awakening to what it is that God has put them on the planet to do. He underestimates 
what God can do in one moment of encounter with people. Number two, the second reason, I told you the first reason why he would give them seven days, why would a terrorist give you seven days to find someone to save you? Number one, he doesn't think anybody save you. Number two, follow me. Seven more days of you sitting underneath dread and anxiety would make you more weakened at the end of the week than it would at the beginning of the week. The enemy was using anxiety as purpose. So let me just say something to you. Anxiety is not your friend. The enemy wants you to feel overwhelmed. The enemy wants you to feel like you can't possibly get a, a W. You're going to have to hang an L right now, win versus loss, because you're not favorable or the situations aren't favorable or you've come to a period in life where the best has already passed. You have a less of a chance of owning a home and have a higher standard of income than your mom and dad. You're the first generation that they're saying that's true of. And to that, God has prophetic promises and he says, don't get caught up in anxiety. Step up into your prophecy. You guys are with me, right? There was this movie, and I'm going to finish telling that story of answering the third reason as to why. Now I better give it to you. I'm going to forget. All right. The third reason why would he do this is that they would be weakened at the end of it, but he knew that the messengers going out and nobody coming to save them would bring even greater demoralization. And so here's this situation. There's a movie, right? It's a Pixar movie. Pixar, a lot of times they come out with some good movies. It's some years ago. I took my kids to go see this. It's called Monsters, Inc., in Monsters, Inc., there's two monsters, Sully and Mike Waskowski, right? They work at Monsters, Inc. in, in Monstropolis. This is foreign to a lot of you. So anybody see Monsters, Inc.? No. Okay, 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 okay. Y'all didn't respond. I'm like, maybe they didn't come out here, right? <laughs> they have a problem. They have an energy crisis. Well, here's the energy crisis. And I really believe that there's a prophetic genius to the people that wrote this movie. That what they would do is that they would harvest the screams of children. And the screams of a generation would empower their city. So they were having an energy crisis because less scares mean less screams, which means less energy. I believe the enemy really is based on this. I believe your anxiety feeds his stronghold over a metroplex. You may not be on a medication right now, but you'd be amazed how many times that anxiety has touched your world to an extent where it's muted your tones, it's subdued the radical inward Christian that wants to bust out in the name. Did I tell y'all, I, I, I told first of all, I went to Scotland about a month ago, my wife and I were invited to speak at a big conference in Scotland when we were in Glasgow, and uh, it was amazing. Well, and, and not too far from there, they have the, the my, my top three favorite movies of all time is a bit, bit, uh, it was, it was violent, but, it, but it's, it's not gratuitous violence. It's Braveheart. Something about Braveheart. I don't know. I just love, love, love. I went to William Wallace Castle, y'all. Man, I went in there telling a story. I'm getting all fired up. Like, I'm, I'm an excitable guy, but when courage and boldness is displayed against all odds, there's some sort of chip in me that I'm extremely ignited and inspired. And so it's like, three or four different levels to the castle, and they're telling you the story. I'm all in. They have the actual sword William Wallace used and the territory, and they show you. And I get to the top, and by this point, I've so, and he was a Christian, by the way. William Wallace was a, was a believer. He was a Christian reformer. I get to the top, and man, I, 
I'll tell you what I did, and I'll tell you what happened. I screamed like movie. I mean, people looked at this crazy middle-aged black man go, what's going on? Where are you from? I went, freedom! I screamed. And, man, I'm serious. I got an anointing of boldness. I'm coming at you different. Something happened in that spot. And it's like you awaken to something, and you go, was I subdued before? Had, had I become a bit domesticated? Not, not that I'm going through the motions, but am I feeling every moment that, the, 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 that every moment is pregnant with the purposes of God, that a simple step of obedience at your work, your school, your family network connection can pivot and tip something for somebody. I, I just believe I want to live that way. You guys are with me on that. Statistics say being overwhelmed is a new normal. They're saying right now that basically we live in an anxiety-ridden age. It's in our literature. It's in movies. It's in our music. It's preoccupation of songwriters and filmmakers. It's absorbed the attention of psychiatrists, social workers, uh, entertainers, and clergy. Everyone is aware. Now, let me go back to this. They have seven days, and this is where we're at. I believe right now that the enemy has tried to put out this thing where it looks so bleak, you can't possibly expect to make a difference. It looks so bad. Can any good come out of it? It is. And what happens when you begin to feel that way, right, is that you go into a mourning, whether you recognize it or not. Like in a moment, the message is going to be said, it says, when they heard the message, people wept. You go into mourning if you don't feel like, and I feel like the church is in mourning when really God is calling the church to an awakening. And I want to I I break this down. Now, here is three unintended consequences of anxiety. And this will be my last component on anxiety. I want to shift this thought. But these are three unintended consequences of anxiety. Number one, why does the enemy want to get you in anxiety and fear? Why? Because I, here's part of what I would say to you. I feel like we think they made, remember, they made a concession. They made a compromise with an enemy out of fear. I think we think it's the vice it's the alluring sin. It's the, the seductive quality of whatever bondage. I submit to you that fear and anxiety causes us to make more compromises. The fear of man, the fear of not getting liked, the fear of being socially ostracized, the fear of not getting as many followers, not getting as many likes, which it ain't about you getting likes. It's about you being light, L-I-G-H-D. We see that there are fears that begin to cause believers to make unwanted concessions. And let me tell you what, you you do not want to make, the dude's name is snake, for heaven's sake. Serpent, come on somebody, swipe left, right? I don't know what you're doing. I think you swipe right if you accept on Tinder. So I've never been on it, but you swipe left. Preachers got to know all these things nowadays, right? When your environment gets filled with unknown outcomes, you get paralyzed, traumatized, marginalized. And so here are the three anxiety causes. Number one, why is anxiety bad? It causes your emotions to launch a mutiny against truth. The enemy wants you anxious. The enemy wants you filled with anxiety because when you're filled with anxiety, he wants you all up in your feelings, Drake. Come on, somebody. When you need to be all up in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He, he, he wants to launch a mutiny. And this is what anxious believers or anxious people do. They let their feelings trump truth. Right? And in the absence of the standard of God's word, whatever is the prevailing opinion becomes your baseline. 
And so fear all of a sudden becomes your God because fear is calling the shots. Fear is in your ear. You're obeying your fears rather than obeying your God, and that is idolatry. Anxiety, number two. The second unintended consequence of anxiety, and by the way, I will say this too. Uh, well, I'll just say this to number two. It causes you to lose focus. Your bl- vision becomes blurred. Or maybe what I'll simply say, it chokes your ability to discern what is true. You don't want to make decisions out of fear, right? Because it chokes your ability to discern, right? I, I, in their case, to gouge out the right eye, right? You, don't, you lack depth perception, right? You need two eyes to go, okay, man, he's about 15 feet, 20 feet from me, et cetera, et cetera. But if I do this, it's kind of hard to have depth perception. Fear gouges out your right eye. You lose focus. And number three, what does fear do? It causes a siphoning of your energy your joy, so you fade out at a time when you should be firing up, right? You, you fade out because literally, and I find so many people, you, you could see it, man. You go to Starbucks, you walk down the street, I'm at the supermarket, I am seeing and picking, you go shop, I'm picking up on people, the anxiety level right now, particularly with emergence, not only back in the day of the, the whole pandemic and then the Ukraine, but even the thing on Gaza Strip and other things that are taking place and finding out that, that Putin is getting more nuclear, he's experimenting and actually detonating nuclear weapons, and all of a sudden you have a generation that's like we we're on the brink of world war three i mean what's going on right here and that anxiety is coming to do all this let, let me let me break it down a different way c.s lewis was an amazing christian author thinker theologian in many respects and he wrote a book called screw tape letters about an older demon discipling a younger demon and it was amazing the the, the truths that were brought out in that but anyway screw tape is like uh, the demon, and he's giving advice to his trainee demon. And here's what he says. Listen to it. C.S. Lewis wrote this in screw tape letters. He says, quote, there is nothing like anxiety for barricading a human mind against God. Nothing. The enemy knows that there's nothing that will barricade you by living with the fear of man, fear of the future, fear of what's next, fear of how I get paid, fear of my finances, fear of being generous, fear of giving myself in this relationship, fear, 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 fear. And then we watch news, we listen to reports. It just, it inflames fears and anxiety right at a point when God wants to release prophecy. What is that saying, Sean? While hell is about your destabilization, heaven is about your revitalization. Best way I could say it. All right. Here is Nahash the Ammonite. There is in Jabesh Gilead. Jabesh Gilead means heap of stones, which is what the patriarchs would do. They would heap up stones as a memorial. Or Jabesh Gilead means testimony. So watch this. Nahash the Ammonite is trying to occupy your testimony. So as he's there, they ask for permission. Seven days. We're in those seven days. And he says, give us seven days. And he says, we're going to send messengers out that will save us, and if they don't come, we will serve you. Bad trade-off. The enemy had them thinking they can't win this fight. The enemy wants you to think you can't win this fight. Let me just say something. I do a little mixed martial arts training. I would never get in the octagon, so we're not at that level, nor will I ever be at that level, right? But if I did this thing, like, in my early 20s, and somehow maybe, like, I see guys get hit in the, in the octagon, I'm like, oh, my goodness, I felt that hit. Like, I would never do that. But if I began 0 and 5, 
I might think I should give it up, right? I'm certainly not going to trash talk another dude in the ring in the way off or whatever they call that thing if I'm 0 for 5, right? I'm not going to tell him you can't fight because I shouldn't be confident in my ability to fight. The devil's trying to tell you you can't win this fight. And let me submit something to you. He's 0 for 5 at my count. He was a leading angel in charge of worship in heaven. Some angels kicked his behind out of heaven. 0 for 1 right? There's many other places he lost, but then he, he manifests and shows himself in the desert wilderness to try to tempt Jesus. Turn these rocks into loaves of bread. Hey, if you're God, prove yourself. Jump off this thing. Worship me now, and I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And the Bible says the devil left for a more opportune time. Over for two! Right? Then on the cross, the devil thought, I got him now. I'm back in the ring. I got him. And all of a sudden, on the third day, come on, he rose from the dead. Oh, for three. The epistles say that the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. You got a part in this victory. Oh, for four. And then Revelations 20.10 says that he will be thrown in the lake of sulfur, fiery. He will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And you're going to let that dude tell you you can't fight? Oh, for five. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap. Show. What kind of messengers would you want to spread a word if your existence and your right eye was at stake? Why did the enemy want to take out the right eye? I already pointed to one of them. You have a loss of depth perception. Number two, if you don't have your right eye, it sends a message to the emerging generation. That generation wouldn't fight. And as a result of that, that's why we're in the captivity and the compromise in the state of our nation is in crisis because you wouldn't fight. It would mark the men as cowards and cowardice Christianity gets passed to another generation. He gave them, he left one eye. Why didn't he just totally blind them? Because he wanted to enslave them and cause them to work the land. But third of all, why did you guys have the right eye? Majority of these men were right-handed. They would hold their shield like Captain America style on their left forearm, right? The part of the shield would block their left eye. Oh, with Lisa left eye Lopez. No. All right. Part of it, y'all, y'all don't y'all don't know TLC. Okay. So it would but so they would use the right eye to peer over the shield, and that's how they would fight. To gouge out the right eye of a man, of a person, was to render them ineffective for battle. The enemy was going after the juggler. So he wanted, so he says, yeah, go ahead. Try to get somebody. Nobody's going to come and you're going to be demoralized. So messenger, let me just stop and say, the messengers went out. What kind of messengers would you want to represent you and get a message out if your right eye was on the line? I'm thinking, what kind of message ought to come from our pulpits? Right? I don't need no TED talk when the generation's right eye is on the line. I, I'm all for being yourself and being funny, but hey, come on. This isn't comedy time at the Apollo. Come on, somebody. You all out there trying to be cute and hip when you need to be holy and righteous and, man, having a person of conviction. We need some urgency and conviction in your message. No, come on, come on. Y'all think with me. What kind of messenger would you want? And I think we've had a messenger of muted tones, dumbing down, people coming out with uncertainty in the name of progressive Christianity, and it's more acceptable. Well, I'm not sure of this. No, no, that's not the message when a generation's right eye is on the line. 
right? I want some messengers that have fire on them. I want some, I mean, you need to thank God for the preachers that hit this pulpit right here. The messengers, and I feel like, you know what? I don't think we've given a generation the right message. I know it's a generalization. I don't think we've given them something worth fighting for. And that sorry, muted, pamper yourself message, no wonder people deconstruct underneath your ministry. You didn't give them anything to stand and hold a banner high and feel like we got to contend. We don't want girls cutting themselves. We don't want a generation confused of God's gender and his purpose in their life. We don't need any more crystal meth, crack cocaine addiction, folks going into malls, emptying rounds. What can we do about that? It's time for the body of Christ to recognize you were made for this darkness. You were made for this moment. What I love about Saul, because the first word, and I'm going to be sharing with a group of leaders what I feel like God's saying, and one of them is uh, God is calling the church back to an awareness of her placement. You were made, Isaiah 60 says, arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Darkness covers the earth, deep darkness, the people, that's anxiety, that's, that's iniquity. But you're to rise and shine in that moment. You can't be ignorant of your placement. And the other thing is, I feel like the Lord gave me the phrase, unlikely players. Saul was king. When the prophet Samuel, who ordained him and called him out, he heard the conversation of heaven. I love the way Pastor Dustin described it. And they were looking, where's Saul at? He's supposed to be the king. And they go, oh, there he is hidden behind the baggage. That's literally what the word says. He said, I wonder how many people that are going to lead this next movement are hidden in baggage right now. You think God's intimidated by your baggage. You think you've done too many wrong things. You've slipped. You've failed so many times. Nobody listens to you. You feel like you don't have a voice. You feel like you're not seen. And in one fall, one fell sweet moment, the Spirit of God can call you out and a crisis summons what's been dormant in you all along. The messengers, let me show you how unlikely he was. Messengers didn't even come to Saul. He's the king. The Bible says, the narrative says, he overheard the messengers telling other people. That's how unlikely Saul was because a dude hidden behind the baggage, you got no experience in warfare and being a king. Many people kind of mocked him a little bit, right? But all of a sudden, the Bible says that when he heard what the messenger said, that group wept, which tells me their message wasn't right. You didn't communicate. You may, how many of you, you can say the right things, but not say it with the right heart, the right spirit, the right fire in you. And I feel like it's equally spiritual, spiritually criminal to have the wrong message as it is to have the wrong heart and wrong passion. And so Saul overhears it, but this is the turning point. You know, Saul is not the hero. That's why I didn't say unlikely heroes. They said unlikely players. The hero is the Holy Ghost. It says, when Saul heard it, the Spirit of God fell on him. And guess what? He became something. Let me break it down. Orthodoxy is what we believe. Orthopraxy is what we practice based on what we believe. Our lifestyle based on our convictions. We've got to develop, even in our spirit-filled churches, a different orthodoxy that leads to a different orthopraxy. Let me explain. We have a belief or theology that the Holy Spirit can come on you, you can laugh. Holy Spirit can come on you, you can cry. Holy Spirit can come on you, you can fall down. Holy Spirit can come on you, and you feel peaceful. And I thank God. I'm not throwing a rock. I, 
I've done all that, and I need a whole lot more of that. But we don't have a theology where the Holy Spirit can come upon you and you get angry. I'm not talking about being belligerent. I'm not talking about being stupid. I'm not talking about putting people on blast on social media. Two words, stop it. Okay, that's my two words for that. But I do feel like the Holy Spirit doesn't just fall on you to feel good. The Holy Spirit falls on you for you to get fed up so people can get freed up. They won't get freed up if you don't get fed up. I'm not okay with crack cocaine, drugs, the spirit of demon or suicide trying to take out a generation. I'm not okay with the ignorance of just pretending like I got my ticket, I'm going to heaven. I don't know about you. No, no, I can't live my Christianity like that. If I believe this thing to be true, and I do, I got to do everything with the breath I have left. I mean, I'm looking at invitations. Pastor Stephen, we, we got some, Pastor Lisa. We got time, but I'm thinking of things like, I don't have time for that. Like, like I got so many years left on this planet. I want to give myself to exactly what the assignment of the Lord is. I don't have time for that foolishness. I'm not getting caught up in that. And I actually think if I can go back to my 20-year-old self, I'd tell that 20-year-old, you don't have time for that either. It says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. He became angry. What did the dude do? Well, he summoned an army, and he beat down Nahash and the Ammonites so bad, bro, that it says no two of them were together. Let me tell you what, you get beat down bad. If you get beat down so much, no two of you can even agree on your retreat, right? They're running scattered all kind of ways. How did Saul do that? Second miracle, we'll answer it, but the first one, Bible says he brought two oxen and took a sword and chopped them up. I have problems cutting a tough steak with a steak knife. I don't know if you've been in them, like them cheap steak houses, right? <laughs> This dude cut up two, and they were alive with their hides on. You've been to a butcher shop. They got an electric saw cutting that. But he cut the male oxen, the bull. <laughs> some of you got that. Some of you did. About two people right there got that. It's time to cut the male oxen. It really is, isn't it? It was the first miracle. That was supernatural. A dude shouldn't take a sword and be able to do that. But here's what he did afterward. He sent a chunk throughout all of Israel. It's like, I'm showing you messengers what you should have done. And as he sent a chunk out, Israel responded as one man. And do we have a message that is causing a generation, I'm talking about those breathing breath in their lungs, to contend that an emerging generation would have a reference point of what a move of God looks like, that they would see a new normal Christianity, book of Acts stamp, like God is our all in all. And I'm asking you, have you received your chunk? Have you received, see, you get awakened when you get your chunk. Imagine you're there and all of a sudden he's saying, we need you to fight. We can't just get you to come and, please keep coming to church. I'm not saying that. But you, your Christian experience can't just be coming and filling a seat space and dropping a buck in a plate or doing an online thing and singing a couple songs and walking out. Come on, no, no, no. You, you're not an audience. You're an army. He sent a chunk out. Have you got your chunk? Have you got that thing that arouses you out of the apathy and the lethargy? It says now is the moment in time. I know I'm screaming. I know I'm a little pedantic or whatever that term is. I get it. But it's because of this dealing of the Lord. And I'm not going to just sit back. I'm not going to spend the rest of my days sitting back and watching darkness parade. I believe that God has ordained. At the end of the night, it's 
Disney World or Disneyland, you sent off all the fireworks. Come on, body of Christ. It's time to send off all the fireworks. You got anything left? Let's just go for it right now. And the end of the story was an unlikely player that became aware of his placement. He just thought he was looking for donkeys, not knowing that you ditched the donkeys. That's a whole nother message. Time to ditch the donkeys. You cut the male oxen and you sent out the chunks and a guy that had no expertise, no expertise became, or no experience became an expert in strategy and war. And this is what the Spirit of God is looking. And that's the hero. The hero is the Holy Spirit. Would you bow your heads?